Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now let's hear some faith-building teaching from Pastor Neil McGeever. Glory be to God. Turn to uh, James 1. Before we get started on what the Lord's put on my heart, there's something I want to uh, point out about that last song. John, can you bring up the uh, verse of the last song? The, the actual verse where it says, yeah, there we go. It talks about remembering in that. And... This is something that I've been learning a whole lot about over the last while in a series that I'm listening to from Kenneth Copeland. And that word remember, in the world, it's about forgetting. It's about forgetting something and like, oh, I forgot to take the trash out. Tomorrow I'll remember to put the trash out. Kind of in that context. But in the context here, in the biblical context, in a context of covenant, when God remembers, it's not that he forgot. <laughs> he hasn't forgotten all of those things. He hasn't forgotten how to love us. He hasn't forgotten how to heal us. He hasn't, he hasn't um, changed his way so we don't, can't trust him anymore. His remembrance, if, paint a picture, he's like, he's standing on a lookout, and he's looking out over us, and he's standing there at the ready, and he's, he remembers the covenant that he brought, he, that he bought for us through Jesus, and he's standing there, and he's at the ready, and he's remembering that covenant, and it's always on his mind. He's, I remember what I promised you. I remember what I have done for you. I'm going to bring that healing to your body. I'm going to bring my faithfulness so you can trust me. I'm always at the ready to help you in every aspect of my covenant that I have bought for you on the cross of Jesus. I remember it. I'm never going to forget it. That's the remembrance that he's talking about here. It's so important. When we remember, it's not about that we forgot. We remember because we know his covenant, his promises, what he's done for us already at the cross. Amen? So the next time we sing that song, you can remember. Amen? Hallelujah. There we go. Praise the Lord. So I want to talk to, to you guys today about entwining yourself. Yes, I said entwining yourself. Entwine thyself. Entwine thyself. This is a little 
nylon rope that I have tucked away the end of it and can't find. There it is. So this is a, a small nylon rope. Notice that it's got some twist on it. You can see that it's got a twist in it. So if I unravel it, there's three cords on it. I'll just take it off here so you can see it the best. See? It's got three cords. Now, if we were to take this rope and completely unravel it from each other, take all three of these cords apart from each other, and try to do the same thing with it when it's entwined together, you wouldn't be able to. It wouldn't be strong enough. But when you put it all back together, When you put it all back together and you use it when it's entwined together, it's stronger than it looks. It's stronger than it feels. It's a very thin, maybe a quarter of an inch or something like that. But it's, it's really strong when it's all entwined together. When I was in cadets as a teenager, there was often we got to go out uh, for a weekend uh, training on uh, yard vessels called YAGs, Y-A-G, and they're about they're 75 foot long uh, vessels that we would go out and we'd learn all about seamanship out on the water and and doing stuff like that. And overnight we would go out, we'd leave on on um, Friday night, and we would come back on Sunday afternoons, and we, so we would have to stay overnight at different places, and so we'd have to come alongside, and it always amazed me how small the ropes that we used to tie these ships to the dock. And there was one particular um, place that we would tie up at that it wasn't a dock. It was a pier that we would stay at, that we would come alongside at. Now, a dock floats on the water, and it has pilings that it wraps around, and it goes up and down with the tide and all the boats are sitting on the water, so the boats and the docks go up and down at the same time. And um, so you don't, once you've come alongside, you don't have to change the length of the rope or anything like that. Well, this one place that we would come alongside had a pier. So a pier is a stationary dock on a whole bunch of pilings, and it stays in one place, and the, the tide goes down and comes up and goes down and comes up and it stays at the same spot. So we would have to do watches overnight. So you each, um, everybody had to do a watch overnight and it was usually an hour. There was enough people on the boat that we each would do an hour through the night so you'd have to get woken up and stuff. And one of the things that we had to do is we had to check the lines at this one, at this pier that we were alongside because if the tide was going out, these small ropes that were entwined together were strong enough to
to hold the ship when the water went down. When the tide went down, and so say the, say the rope's about, I don't know, eight feet from, from the cleat on, on the boat to the cleat that's on, on the pier. As, it, as the tide went down, that rope didn't get any longer. We made sure it was secure. But those ropes were strong enough to hold that vessel, even though the water wasn't there anymore. 75-foot yard vessel, all made of wood and metal and iron and stuff like that. A very heavy ship back from the 19, probably 1940s, 1950s or so. And so we had to make sure, we always had to check the tension on the lines and, if, and, and check kind of where we were at with, with regards to the dock. And we had to adjust those lines so that the boat would stay, so the ship would stay in the water and stay level in the water. This, just a picture that you, to show you how strong it is to be entwined. It's very strong yet it doesn't look strong, okay? So keep that picture with you as we go through the sermon, okay? So James 1, we're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go to verse 4. And I'm going to read from the Amplified. It says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered abroad among the Gentiles in the dispersion, greetings. And that word greetings actually in the Greek means rejoice. So he's telling them to rejoice. Now, something you should know here is that the twelve tribes of Israel at this point, they haven't just decided to move towns they have been under persecution, and they had to leave. They had to get out of Dodge. They had to get out of their cities and disperse themselves. Otherwise, they were going to be persecuted. There's lots of, there's lots of um, right now, actually, there's Christians that are needing to drop everything and get out of Afghanistan. They're having to leave everything behind, not be concerned about it, and get out of Afghanistan to save their lives so that they don't get um, taken into jail or whatever else the Taliban wants to do. They're having to get out. They're having, they're having to disperse themselves. So it's not a very happy situation, right? The Israelites at this point had to basically do the same thing. They've had to get out. And notice that James is telling them to rejoice. It's time to rejoice. Keep that in mind. I'm painting a picture here to get to verse 4 here. Verse 2 says, Consider it wholly joyful. There we go with the rejoicing thing again. Consider it wholly joyful, my brethren, whenever you are in, in, enveloped or in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. So he's telling us, again, 
James is all excited. You know, be joyful that you have trials and temptations. Rejoice that you've been dispersed abroad. <laughs> They're kind of, you know, one of these things is not like the other. <laughs> they don't really meld. They, the picture that's being painted here is they're being dispersed, they've got trials and temptations, but he's telling them to rejoice and to be joyful. Interesting. <laughs> Verse 3. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. Interesting. Notice that it doesn't say anything about the problems that they're facing in verse 3 here. It talks about their faith. It talks about the trial of their faith. Be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and, pray and patience. It doesn't say, be assured and understand that this crazy circumstance that you're experiencing right now is going to bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. Nothing about the actual trial or temptation that you're facing. It talks about our faith. Our trials and our temptations do not define us. The trials and the temptations don't define us. What does define us is our response. Because our response shows what's in our heart, what's already in there. Our faith comes from our heart. It comes and wells up. So we look at these situations and we're defined by, well, we're defined by God and what he did on the cross. But in these situations, you can see kind of this, the state of the union for yourself. You know, how close do you feel to God? How entwined, how entwined are you with him at that point? How's your faith doing at that point? Are you running scared? Are you fine? Are you not concerned? Are you, are you able to sit there and rejoice in it and be joyful that these things, um, not that these things are happening, but be joyful in the Lord? Hallelujah. In verse 3 here, patience, <laughs> interestingly, there's a theme kind of developing here, means to be cheerful or hopeful with endurance and constancy. Yeah. Patience, so it says, be assured and understand that the trial and proving of your faith bring out endurance and steadfastness and patience. And the word in the, in the um, King James, it just says... Um, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So the, the word translated patience from the Greek means to be cheerful or hopeful. We know the biblical hope is confident expectation. 
with endurance and constancy. So you're consistent. You're consistent. You, if that patience brings, cheer, it's like you're cheerful. You're not concerned about it because your eyes aren't on the, on the situation that you're in. Your eyes are on God. Your eyes are on him. You're listening to him. You're entwining yourself with him. Okay, here's where we want to get to. So I've set, I've set that, the context of verse 4. This is why he's saying verse 4. Verse 4, he's talking, he's talking to them about verse 4 because he knows that crazy things are going on in their lives. But let endurance and steadfastness and patience, there's that same Greek word in the very first part of this next, next verse, right? Cheerful or hopeful endurance and constancy have full play and do a thorough work. We want to let our patience have full play in our lives and do a, and do a thorough work. So we're going to be rejoicing, we're going to be joyful, and we're going to be cheerful, and we're going to let that do a full, thorough work in our lives. Oh, hallelujah. So that you may be people perfectly and fully developed with no defects, lacking in nothing. Oh, hallelujah. In the King James it says, but let patience or cheerful hopefulness, endurance and constancy have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. If you're letting that patience, that cheerfulness, that joyfulness, that rejoicing, you're going to be left wanting nothing. Amen? The word perfect in verse 4 means complete. In various applications of labor, growth, mental or moral character of, four, of full age, it's talking about maturity. It's, it's not talking about perfectness, perfectness or perfection in the world sense. God's bringing us to a maturity in Him, a fullness in Him, a completeness in Him. In the, in the Amplified, it says that we're lacking nothing. I think it, it better encapsulates what it's trying to get across in the King James. It says wanting nothing, that we're left wanting nothing. When, I mentioned this before, when um, the Lord got our house for us, we had a list of things that we were looking for in our house. And it was probably about five years between when we started looking and when we found our house. And so we had this list, and when we got our house, we were left wanting nothing. It wasn't that just that the list was checked off for what we were looking for. God went beyond that and, and took care of things in that house that we didn't even think of. 
Like our garage is so big that we can fit all three of our cars in, all my tools, all the stuff that we need to fit in the garage, we can fit in the garage. You know, and we've got, uh, it's not just a crawl space where I have to get on my hands and knees and crawl around. I can actually, uh, one part of it, I can actually fully stand up. All six, three and a half feet, six feet, three and a half inches of me can stand up. Now my head's partially in the rafters of the kitchen floor, but I can still stand up. You know, things like that. And just there's so many different aspects of our house, the backyard, and things that we didn't even have on our list. He took care of all of those things and left us wanting nothing. In my testimony about Bethany's tire, I was really left wanting nothing at the end of that. A brand new tire, no concern with the, the plug and the patch um, not working properly. We got a brand new tire. I was left wanting Nothing. I was left wanting nothing. Notice that it says trials and temptations in the in the in the amplified. It talks about trials and temptations. In verse two, it says, Consider it holy, joyful, my brethren, whenever you are enveloped in or encounter trials of any sort or fall into various temptations. So as I was praying about this last night, and the Lord just showed me kind of to separate the two, trials and temptations. So trials, on one hand, are things that aren't necessarily good that are happening in our lives. Things that are a challenge in our lives. You know, you're... Um, you're facing like a sickness or something weird going on in your body that needs healing. That'd be like a trial. You're um, having issues with a family member that's being a bit crazy or something like that. that that's a trial. You know, you, you, <laughs> um, you're, you're, there's something there that, that um, just isn't good, isn't according to God's promises, isn't according to his covenant that's happening in your life. And then on the other hand, there's temptations. So as I was praying about this, the Lord showed me, take our house, for instance. Like I meant, just mentioned, there was five years between when we started looking for our home and when we actually found our home. Now, at one point there... There was all four of us living in a 650-square-foot apartment, one-bedroom apartment, and all four of us were living in that while we were waiting um, for our home. There was lots of temptation to take things into our own hands <laughs> and make this work and find that house right now. <laughs> now, I will say this. The grace of God was upon the four of us. We had a wonderful time living in that apartment. It was crazy. And there was lots of rearranging of furniture to try and maximize space and things like that. But we spent time cooking in all four of us in the kitchen. And like, yeah, the kitchen, yeah, it was small. And there was one point where um, they... Uh, I'd gone to sleep already, and I was, at this point, I was sleeping on one of the couches, and Heather and the girls decided to rearrange the furniture after I went to sleep, and they moved the furniture with me on it, and I did not wake up. <laughs> but 
there was, and I remember one night where we were feeling frustrated because we hadn't found a house yet. And so we sat down and we hooked up the laptop to the TV so we could all see it. And we went through all of the listings that were on the MLS listing. And we were going to find a house that night. And we were ready to move into our house. And what was going on here? Why haven't we found our house yet? We were trying to take, we were being tempted to try and take that whole process into our own hands and figure it out for ourselves. Now, the truth is, is if we had, there's probably a house that we could have found, and we did see some that looked really nice and stuff like that. And if we had to continue down that road, we would have got those houses, and it may have ticked off most of the list, but we certainly weren't going to be left wanting nothing in that situation. Right? Right now in my life, the Lord has shown me something that's going to be happening at some point in the future in my life. Something that I am very excited about. Something that I've been believing for for a while. And the Lord's finally, it, he started to talk to me about it and, and show me what kind of parts of it are going to look like. But I know it's in the future. And right now, nothing's happening. But there's a temptation for me to take it into my own hands and make it manifest itself by my own will and my own ability. I can tell you, if I do that, it is not going to be a good thing. It is not going to be a good thing. So that gives you a picture of the difference between trials and temptations. Those that those bad things that the devil and the world are trying to bring about in your life. And then there's those good things that you're believing for. And there's, in both sides of this, there is time lapse. You know, for the bad stuff, there's time lapse between when things start to happen that aren't good and things start to manifest and stuff like that. And when God when God heals you, when God answers, and it can be immediate, it can be over time, but there's, there's always at least some time lapse there. And the same thing for the temptations, those good things that you're believing for in your life, there's that time lapse there. So what do we do in that time lapse? What do we do? What, are we supposed to just sit there? And wait for God. Okay, God, I'm waiting for you. I'm ready to go when you tell me to go. I'm sitting here. Okay, Lord, when is it? Are we ready yet? Is it time? Have you healed me yet? Have you brought that house yet? Are you going to do that thing you've been showing me about, Lord? Or I'll just I'll sit here and I'll wait for you, Lord. Is, is, that, is that what we're supposed to be doing? <laughs> Let's turn to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40, chapter 40, and the very last verse, verse 31. <clears throat> Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31. It says, 
But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That seems like a great verse, and it is. It's an amazing verse. It's an encouraging verse. But on just the surface of it, it says, wait. Okay, so I'm, okay, Lord, I'm going to wait. I'm just going to wait. I'll just wait here for you, Lord. Kind of like the typewriter in Sesame Street. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait. But that's not what that word actually means. That word wait, it doesn't mean wait in the, in the context that we're thinking about. In the Hebrew, that word in the root of it means to bind together, perhaps by twisting. Sound kind of familiar? So, in the true context of that word in the Hebrew, it says, but they that bind themselves together and entwine themselves with the Lord shall renew their strength. When you entwine yourself with the Lord, your strength will be renewed. They shall mount up. You will mount up with wings as eagles when you entwine yourself with the Lord. You will run and not grow weary when you entwine yourself with the Lord. You will walk and not be faint when you entwine yourself with the Lord. The truth of the matter is, is that regardless of whether it's a trial that you're facing in your life or it's a temptation that you're facing on your life, God still has something for you to be doing right now. God still has something that he wants you to be doing right now. You're not supposed to sit on the sidelines and just wait for whatever to happen. He has a purpose in your life. He wants to grow you. He wants to develop you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to interact with you. He wants to be part of every aspect of your life. He has a purpose and a future for you. He has wh what he wants you to do right now is probably part of the path to get you to in that temptation side where you're believing for something. What he wants you to be doing right now is probably part of growing you into what he has for you in the future. What he has you to do for to dealing with those temptations and those trials is maybe to teach you about what it means in his word to walk in his covenant and those covenant promises and truly what they mean and how you can stand in faith in them. He wants you to be active with him every single day of your life. When I was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 2006, I had no idea about healing and the promises and the covenants of God and what, what was mine according to that covenant. And so I lived with multiple sclerosis as an identity of who I was. Even though I was a born-again Christian, I walked in an identity of multiple sclerosis or MS as it's commonly referred to. 
And then in 2013, praise the Lord, we, we started to learn about healing, about, excuse me, the promises of God and what he says about healing. And I'm like, oh, I don't have to be walking with MS anymore. It doesn't have to define me. You know, they were, they were spending time at the very beginning of it teaching me about, you know, to prepare myself for not being able to use my hands or my feet or anything like that, or my legs. And I got special keyboards and mouses and uh, supports for my arms and stuff like that to be able to work at work and all that kind of um, stuff. But then I started to learn about his healing. Now, I hadn't experienced the healing yet. And it didn't mean that before that the healing wasn't there available for me. I just didn't learn. I hadn't learned about it. I didn't know anything about it. I had to learn about it. I had to walk entwined with him. I had to run my race with him. I had to walk and not grow faint because I'm looking at MS every day of my life. I had to walk and not be faint in it and trust the Lord. And he is always faithful. He is always faithful. And he came around and he started to teach me about healing. And it wasn't even that I was like, Lord, I believe that I'm healed from MS. I had to take shots every other day on different parts of my body. I had to rotate it around my body and stuff like that. And there was a point where I'm like, you know what, Lord, it would just be nice that I don't have to take these shots anymore. And over a progression of about a year and a half, um, each time I'd go and see my MS doc, the MS doctor um, about every six months. And the first time after I'm thinking about, it was about a, probably about six, the six months or a year after I started thinking about this that I'm like, you know what? It'd just be nice I didn't have to take these shots. And she says to me, you know what? You don't have to take those shots anymore. I didn't ask her about it. I didn't say anything about it. I mean, she knew I was a Christian, but I didn't say anything about it to her. And she says, you know what? It's time you don't need to be taking those shots anymore. And there was a bunch of other medications that I was on. And so it progressed, and it just started taking me off the medications. And then the last time that I saw the MS doctor, she declared me normal. Declare me completely normal that I don't have MS anymore. Now, if I hadn't have entwined myself with the Lord and walked down, even though I knew that that needed to be dealt with in my life, if I hadn't have entwined myself and paid attention to Him in the here and the now and just walked with Him each day of my life, I wouldn't have made it there. If we had have taken matters into our own hands with looking for our home, we would have found a home, but we wouldn't have learned what we needed to learn to be a family. Each day, seeking Him, growing in Him as individuals, and by growing in Him, as a fa uh, we became a closer-knit family. I don't know whoever showed this to me or if I saw it online or something like that, but in relationship, it's like a triangle. And so there's you and the other person, and up here um, 
is kind of the, the pinnacle of the, the, the closeness. So the slopes of the, the triangle are the closeness. And as you spend time in God and you walk in God, you do what it says here in Isaiah 40, 31. But you, you entwine yourself with the Lord and he will renew your strength and he will help you to run and he'll help you to walk in him. As you grow in him and you, and you learn in him, you start to get closer to God up here at the point. Notice that you're getting closer to the person that you're wanting in that relation, to be in that relationship with. Has nothing to do with the other person. But you take that time to entwine yourself with him. And that's what the four of us did. We took that time to entwine ourselves with the Lord. And we grew as a family. God created a home inside of us before we had a house. And it was that time. We needed that time. We didn't see it at, the point, at that point in our natural minds or our natural eyes. We thought, oh, we need the home right, we need the house right now. But God had a plan for us. He grew in us a home before we had the house. And then when we got the house, it became our home. It became an outward expression of what God had already done on the inside of us. Amen? And that happened because of this entwining. If I'm looking, God's put something on your heart that you want to, that he, you know he wants you to do, but it doesn't seem possible right now. doesn't matter. It seems like it's far off in the future. doesn't matter. You take the time to entwine yourself with him right now because he isn't putting you on the sidelines right now unless you put yourself on the sidelines right now. Take yourself out of the race. He wants you in your purpose. His word is a light unto your feet to show you where you are and a lamp unto your path to show you where you're going. Spend time with him. Spend time in his word because he's going to show you that path. I guarantee you that that path is going to take you to what he's shown you is going to happen to you in your future. I guarantee you on this side of the trials that as you walk down that path, you're going to grow in strength. You're going to grow in understanding of what the word of God says about the situation that you're facing there where you can overcome it by the word of, the, the word of our testimony, by the blood of, our lamb, of the Lamb. You can overcome it because you're taking that time. And he takes out and he shows that lamp on that path. And you can overcome it. You, 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 you can quash it. You can, it can be that mountain that you just throw into the sea as your faith grows, as you learn. You see, the Bible has always been the truth. But if we don't have an understanding of it, if we don't have that knowledge of it, if we haven't learned about it, doesn't mean that it isn't true. just means that you don't know about it. Astrophysics is a thing. <laughs> Astrophysics is a thing. It doesn't cease to exist if you don't know anything about it. Right? <laughs> it doesn't mean that it doesn't exist. It does exist. You just don't have any understanding about it. 
But you can get that understanding when you entwine yourself with him. When you take that time to learn of him, to grow in him, to spend each day with him. Because he wants to be part of each day. He doesn't just want to be with you here at church. He wants to be with you when you're with your grandchildren, when you're at work, when you're with your friends, when you're with colleagues, when you're with you're at the dentist, you're at the grocery store. He wants to be part of every aspect of your life. So you see those things, you know that the healing's coming. You know that the, the answer is coming to deal with that difficult person in your family. You know that the promise is coming on this side. You know that it's coming, but he still has the purpose for you right now. To walk in, to grow in, to excel in. He's not a God of just getting by. He's a God of abundance. And he wants abundance in every aspect of your life. And he doesn't want you to sit on the sidelines and wait for that abundance to come. He has the abundance for you right now. Walking in him, trusting him, entwining yourself with him. Entwining yourself with him. You become stronger. Just like this rope is stronger than it looks. You entwine yourself with him. And you can be that rope that holds that yag ship off of the water when it's, when it's attached to the pier instead of the dock. You can become that strength because it is his strength when you entwine yourself with him. You become stronger than you think you are. You become stronger than you look. You become more settled. Every aspect of you, when you entwine yourself with him, becomes stronger and more powerful. We have two apple trees in our backyard. And when we first moved into the house in June of 2018, the two apple trees were on a part of our yard that's a uh, city of Surrey easement. So according to the rules of this easement, there's not supposed to be anything growing. You, you can't plant grass. You can't can't really do anything about it because they have the right to come and dig that up at any point in time. It has a bunch of water lines, different types of water lines that run to the property that are our next door neighbors. And it runs across the bottom of our, of our yard. I mean, we, could, we put bark mulch on it and everything, but these two apple trees were planted on it, which meant that if they needed to come and fix the pipes that were underneath this easement, they didn't even have to ask us. They tell us that they're coming on our property to do this, and they could just rip up those apple trees, and we couldn't do anything about it. So we decided um, that we were going to have them transplanted in our backyard to a part that's off of this easement. And it's right next door to, it's right next to the easement, but it's off this easement, so they, you know, they can't do anything about them. So that happened in like November of 2019. We had them transplanted. Now, when you have something transplanted, it shocks it a bit, right? They can't get all of the roots. You know, the, I don't know, the, they were producing quite a few apples in 2018. So the roots were very established. So there's no way that they could dig down far enough and get every single last root that is 
that has gone down into the dirt when they transplanted it. They had, there was some point where they had to cut those roots off to transplant those two apple trees. So they transplanted them, put them right next to each other in, in one of our garden beds um, in November of 2019. And the summer of 2020, when these apple trees are supposed to be producing apples, the one tree produced five apples. The other tree, the shorter, kind of more rounder one, produced a bunch of apples, but like I could hold like two or three of them in the palm of my hand. There were these tiny little apples. The roots hadn't gone down and established themselves in the soil. They hadn't entwined themselves with the soil yet. So we um, did some stuff to them over the winter and, and put some fertilizer down around them and stuff like that and made sure that they were getting watered properly and got the weeds out and everything like that. And so this summer, that one tree that uh, only had five on it in the summer of at the end of the summer of 2020, I just the other day picked off all the remaining apples that hadn't fallen off of it. And I'd already picked a bunch off of it already. And we had 31 that I picked, 31 apples. And they weren't small. They were like, I could only hand, hold like one um, in my palm of all of the apples. And so like I picked 31 off of it. And there was probably another 15 that had, we hadn't quite got to that had fallen to the ground um, that my sister-in-law's horse gets now. Um, um, and we'd already picked maybe 10 or 15 off of, the, off of it already. And then that's just the one tree. And now the other tree, it's a bit, it's a, uh, it uh, matures a bit later. The apples um, ripen just a bit later. So we still have, well, I, I don't know how many apples we have on this other tree. And they're all nice and big. So why did that happen? Why the difference between 2020 and 2021 for these two apple trees? These apple trees, they rooted themselves in that soil. They, they, the, the roots dug down into that soil and established themselves in that soil. And they, they got down far enough that they didn't just need to rely on the water from the rain or the water water from our sprinkler system in our yard to get to get water to feed themselves they got down into the nutrients of that soil they got down to where there was a, probably a water source that was a bit further down those roots got established they entwined themselves with that soil and they started to produce amazing fruit you hear me they entwined themselves with that soil and they were able to produce amazing fruit this year. As we entwine ourselves with the Lord, we get to produce amazing fruit in our lives as we walk each and every day of our life. Because God has that purpose for us right now and not waiting for those things that we see in our future for those promises to happen in those trials or the, the, the being tempted in the meantime when we're waiting for those promises. Entwine ourselves, Shalane. 
and Bethany. And we're going to be taking communion in just a minute here. If you're at home, take a moment right now to go and get the elements um, that you need. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. I had to take the time to cast my cares upon the Lord in waiting for this promise that God's shown me because I spent a lot of time trying to figure out how it's going to happen. I had to humble myself, trust him that he knew the best on how it was going to manifest in my life. I have to trust him. I have to humble myself and choose to trust him. That's what humbling is. Biblical humbling is choosing to trust God more than yourself. Choosing to trust Him more than yourself. Choosing to, to trust that He has your best interests at heart. That you, that He is going to be able to do far above what you can think to do in this situation. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. He's going to do the exalting of you in the due time. He's going to bring that promise to, to bear in his due time. And when he does, you're going to be left wanting nothing. You're going to be left wanting nothing. In Hebrews 6.12, it says, That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith inherit the promises. We have a promise to inherit. We've already inherited it. We just need to learn about it. There's lots of people around here that know about those promises that you can talk to if you're not sure about what your promises are in the Lord. And how you can walk with him while you're wait, while you you're believing for that, the manifestation of his promises to happen in your life. In Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 3, it says, Therefore then, 
Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses who have borne testimony to the truth, let us strip off and throw aside every encumbrance, unnecessary weight, and that sin which so readily or deftly and cleverly clings to and entangles us, and let us run with patience. That word patience is the same one. That same one. Cheerful or hopeful endurance and constancy. And entangles us. And let us run with patient endurance and steady and active persistence the appointed course of the race that is set before us. He wants you to run the race he has for you. He wants you to run that race. It's going to take you to that promise. It's going to take you to that healing. It's going to take you to that solution with your family member. Run that race. Looking away from all that will distract to Jesus. Look away from all of that and look at Jesus. Put him in your scope. Who is the leader and source of our faith, giving the first incentive for our belief and is also its finisher, bringing it to maturity and perfection. Remember those words? That completeness, that maturity, that wholeness that God has for us, wanting nothing. He, for the joy of obtaining the prize that was set before him, endured the cross, despising and ignoring the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He saw the promise that was before him, and he chose to walk his path that God had for him, because he knew the promise. He knew the promise. And he wasn't going to take his eyes off that. But he knew what he had to walk through. And he walked through it because he knew the promise. If he, God's given every single one of us here a promise. Every single one of us a promise. Verse 3. Just think of him who endured from sinners such grievous opposition and bitter hostility against himself. Reckon up and consider it all in comparison with your trials. Hmm. So that you may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in your minds. We have the ability to touch the world in, that's in chaos right now. It's in chaos in the United States. It's in chaos in Canada. Not just because of COVID-19. There's political chaos. There's territorial chaos in, in Asia, in Afghanistan. There's lots of things going on. But we have the answer. So that we may not grow weary or exhausted, losing heart and relaxing and fainting in our minds. Let's entwine ourselves and be that voice of hope. Let's entwine ourselves and be that voice of love, that act of love. 
while we're waiting for that that God has promised us, because he has that purpose for us right now. He has that purpose for us right now. Amen? Thank you for listening today. We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, BC, V3W3B1.